0: Welcome back to Ravens Recap. Well, we've got the Super Bowl coming up. Neither the two teams Ooh. playing. Well, Alec just said it a lot more efficiently, what I was just about to say, but, you know, <laughs> the big game's still here. Assuming, you know, uh, COVID apocalypse doesn't happen for the two teams involved, we are going to get in a full 2020 to 2021 season, which looked, was a big question mark back in the summer, so we can at least be thankful for that. Uh, however, the Ravens will not be in the big game this year, so after our uh, pre-show discussing what you should have done or shouldn't have done with the GameStop st- uh, stonks, we're going to now uh, get into how do we fix the Ravens and get them in the Super Bowl next year? Can we try to fix the Ravens? I thought we were going to just go over the year. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of too, you know, we do both.
1: Yeah, that's fair. So we, we're going to talk about the year in in review and kind of the moves we might think will happen uh, based off the results that we had. And we have a lot of good analytics here. Uh, Much appreciation to Peter, who put a lot of it together. And uh, it'll be fun to go through. But before we do, we do want to take care of uh, some of the random Ravens news that happened since the last time we recorded. It wasn't a surprise, but it didn't hurt any less. Mark Ingram was cut from the team. We will be saving $5 million because of it. And uh, I really liked seeing all the things on social media that followed up after uh, he got cut. May have hurt a little less.
2: Yeah, it was pretty sad. I, I I actually listened to the Bills recap episode before this recording, actually. And uh, yeah, I could, I could hear the tears in your voice, Alec, from that recording. Definitely stung kind of a little bit in the moment. But uh, man, nothing but love for Mark Ingram, though. It's just everything we said last episode, just awesome dude. I'm sad to see him go. But we you know, it, the writing was on the wall, we knew it was gonna come. So not so much a surprise from that angle.
0: Yeah, great leader in the clubhouse. Just Huge guy, just as far as a teammate goes. I mean, I think Alec hit it right on the nail when he was, like, you know, hypothetically asked, uh, or rhetorically asked, rather, what player in Ravens history who really only had one impact year on the squad uh, had as big of an impact as Mark Ingram did on the culture of a roster, and, you know, just, you saw it. Like Chris said, you saw all the outpouring of of you know brotherly love that he got from his teammates you know he had a huge impact on the field in 2019 but his impact in 2020 was a lot more of a leadership role a lot more of a you know building guys up and really hope for the best for Mark Ingram. hope he makes the Pro Bowl next year wherever he goes I don't know how much he has left in the tank but uh just one of the good guys in football that you want to see succeed yeah definitely get a root for him wherever he goes
1: The surprise of the cuts was Morgan Cox, our long snapper for, gosh, what was it, 11 years? Something nuts. One of the uh, Wolfpack members was cut. Uh, They're going to go younger at the position and uh, wish the best to Morgan Cox, who sounds to be an amazing teammate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I agree. It it was a surprise because, you know, the Wolfpack, it's every year after the preseason. We know those three guys are going to be together, and um, it's a... slightly ironic in a sense that you know we had a a season where one of the biggest complaints we had was in the snapping department and what do we see the Ravens do you snap the guy who's probably the best snapper on the team last year um admittedly you know snapping from a long snapping position and snapping from the uh offensive line center are completely different skill sets um so much so that it's just like they're not interchangeable you can't just have morgan cox come in and be the center that wouldn't work for so many reasons but definitely sad to see him go but like we said before the episode he was getting older and you want to use that money uh somewhere else
2: yeah i i gotta admit I'm, i'm a little i'm a little surprised just from the cap savings it didn't seem like all that much to me in the grand scheme of things i mean you know, in general, I think a lot of these special teamers and, and and specialists just, you know, they're like, yes, it's like, you know, maybe a few million dollars in the case of like a kicker or a punter, but like, is it really worth that, you know, is it really worth the savings? There are plenty of teams out there that roll with, you know, subpar kickers and kind of have to go through three or four of them a season. I, I'm not sure if it's, if it's g- going to be the exact same, if we're talking about the long snapper position, but, you know, sometimes that you know, extra investment is definitely worth it if you know that you have a guy that you can count on. But, you know, I I think the the thing for me is that because we didn't have the preseason, we didn't really get to look at this, uh, the other guy. You know, I I guess from from my perspective, is a little bit more surprising just because, you know, I I don't know what we're going to have. But, you know, I guess we'll find out this uh, next season. Hopefully, if we have a preseason, we'll be able to see this other guy and, and, you know, see what we kind of have there. I think the other uh, big news too, um, as far as contracts goes, so we've got uh, one extension and we got a new contract. So Nick Boyle is extended for another two years. I think it was thirteen million. I believe it's the extension. A little bit surprising, but I mean, I think it's a good show of faith from the Ravens front office that you know, even though Boyle had the season-ending injury this year, they want to keep him around. I, I think it's pretty good, all things considered, in terms of a contract. Uh, and then Jordan Richards, uh, one of our special teamers, uh, looks like we signed him to a one-year contract. I believe that's under a million. It was only, you know, mm-hmm. eight hundred some thousand, I believe.
1: Right. It was like a vet deal, and um, the Boyle extension saves two million dollars on the cap. So, even just from that, uh, we saw some extra money after signing Richards. Nice.
2: Yeah, I think the big thing with, uh you know, obviously Boyle, we know was going to be around. He was going to be a piece. Definitely miss him when uh, when he and Stanley were out. So he's definitely going to be a piece. We're going to be building around with uh, with Mark Andrews and and guys like uh, Pat Ricard for a couple of years. Uh, Jordan Richards, to me, I, I mean, we'll see what happens, man, but I, I think that is probably the end of Anthony Levine. I think a couple of people have been saying that. I mean, between Richards and, and a guy like Chris Board, who's been playing very well on special teams as well, I, I think it might be the last of that guy from, you know, which is going to be a shame too because, you know, him and Morgan Cox, both those guys were – On the Super Bowl team. I think if you look at my poster back here with the Super Bowl 47 team up there, I think both those guys are on that poster. And uh, it's going to be sad. We're going to have two of those uh, members of that great team moving on.
0: Yep, absolutely. It's uh, always tough to see players go, even when it is their time. We love these guys. We see them year in and year out, and it's just always tough to say goodbye to them. But on the subject of the Super Bowl, it was, believe it or not, the 20th anniversary. Which I guess makes sense because we keep telling we've, we've been watching football for twenty years. So, but it's just crazy that that much time has passed. Twenty year anniversary of the Ravens' first Super Bowl, Super Bowl thirty five. That victory. Uh, there's a lot of cool articles out and some cool interviews. If you guys saw them on other sites, uh, and we were discussing in the Discord, uh, one of the episodes we're going to do in the off season is going to be a little bit of a retrospective of that year. Um, go through some of our memories of that time. Maybe bring in a a fan who's a little older than we were at that time, and uh, compare an older fan's perspective with you know some young NFL fan's perspective of seeing that season. Uh, so that'll be a cool thing for you guys to listen out to in the offseason whenever we do that.
1: That's one box set I do own, not a hypothetical <laughs> box set. Um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'm definitely looking forward to watching the Super Bowl again. I remember it being just a dominating performance and, uh, and the games that led up to it too. I think it'll be fun to do all that. That Super
2: Bowl was in Tampa as well, right?
1: Yes. It was. Yeah. Mm. Man, because if we made the Super Bowl this year, you know they we brought that up. The last time the Ravens were in the Super Bowl in Tampa, like some stupid ass (laughs) hat like that. Like, who cares? You
0: have someone go on, did you know the starting quarterback in Super Bowl 35 wore the number eight? Just like Lamar Jackson. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Also true. Oh, oh
2: man. man that's why I thought they brought it up cuz I thought that they were like oh the Super Bowl's going to be in Tampa this year. You know what also happened in Tampa Super Bowl 35. <laughs> but I guess yeah 20th anniversary as well. That's that's probably the official reason for it, but I thought it was the location.
1: Last but not least we do have a bit of uh drama. What it, it's an offseason without some drama? Uh there was a tweet what was it 2 days ago from Orlando Brown Jr saying but I'm a left tackle or something to that effect. And uh it was the same day as the Pro Bowl, so what, part of me is like, was he like a uh, right tackle in the Pro Bowl when that's what he was commenting about? I don't know. But most people are assuming it's about a contract extension offer that was made, and probably the money not where he wanted it to be. So hopefully there's no bad blood, blood. We've had some conversations in the Discord about trading him. I mean, I think if you get a first-round pick for him, it's worth doing, uh, personally. But I do know that is a big risk to make going into uh, what could be the last year of Lamar Jackson's window to give away the stability at right tackle for uh, future prospects. But at the same time, you're like, well, once we have to pay Lamar Jackson, it'd be quite nice to have another rookie on the contract. That might be good. So uh, a balancing act. that uh, That's why Eric Dacosta makes the big bucks.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about it last episode. We'd love to have uh, Baby Zeus back and, you know, long term, but we've discussed this two years ago when you've got this stacked roster with all these young players, you're only going to be able to keep all of them for so long. And eventually uh, the cap realities are going to settle in and some hard decisions are going to be made and Ravens aren't going to be able to keep everyone. So some guys have already been extended. You know that uh, Ronnie Stanley and Marlon Humphrey are here for the long term. Lamar Jackson is virtually here for the long term. I think we all know that that contract is going to get done. The question is just how much. We'll see what happens with him. Hopefully, he can stick around. Yeah, if, if I'm being honest, guys, like I don't, I don't, know,
2: I don't know how you would trade him at this point. I mean, I know that uh, the Tunsil trade—I I believe he went for two firsts and I think a mid-round pick or, or a day two pick at least. Now, granted, you know, I think he had more gears uh, on his rookie contract uh, at that point in time
1: than Orlando brown it was also a bill o'brien special so <laughs> that's right you that's, can't that's you that's can't fair, expect but, that all the time
2: <laughs> that's that's fair but also with the more news about uh jack easterby and, and the texans organization i think bill o'brien is uh i i think people were starting to realize that maybe that uh, he got a little bit too much flack <laughs> mm-hmm. there may have been more things at play in the texans organization for that but but no i hear what you're saying alec you know the other thing i guess to mention too is that tunsell was the first He was a first-round pick, right? He was a second tackle taken after Stanley that year. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and so he would have had his fifth-year option as well. So there's more potential value there and everything. But I digress. Um, You know, Tunsil went. You know, he had a lot of draft capital in that trade. For me, unless you got, unless you got two picks, like maybe a first or a second or a first and a third or something, like I just, I don't see how that would make too much sense for the Ravens. You know, unless that first-round pick was, you know, in the top ten or something. Right, because otherwise, like you know, it is a risk. You're not guaranteed to get a player that's going to be able to be as good of caliber as Orlando Brown Jr. is. Even if this player, you know, hypothetical player, turns out to be a good player, you know, it may take a couple of years for that value to be realized. Orlando Brown, right now, I mean, we got him next year, and honestly, after that, like I think he's a strong candidate for a fifth year, uh, or not a fifth year option, a franchise tag. So, if I'm the Ravens. You know, if I'm Eric DaCosta, you kind of got all the leverage at this point. Like, as as long as he's not going to hold out and not play, which you know, uh, I I don't think he would. You know, he might be upset that he's not going to play left tackle, but I have to think Orlando's got a a healthy amount of respect for the organization. You know, considering the family history and everything. So I'd say the Ravens at least have two more years that they can have Orlando Brown here. And I, unless they found another tackle that could really step in and play at that level, I, I think he needs to stay here.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, if the Ravens do trade him, hopefully he can get something back. But I think you, whatever does happen with him, you, we always got to appreciate the fact that the Ravens basically got three first round draft picks that year because you got Hayden Hurst and Lamar Jackson and Orlando Brown. If if people, you know, just didn't treat the scu- the scouting combine like a like a track meet, you know he he would have been a first-round pick. The ta- He's had the talent to be a first-round pick. It was just he had a terrible combine. That's why he, he slipped that far. So uh, the Ravens are already ahead on that bet. I'm just going to try to see
1: how far ahead they can get. Yeah, Mark Andrews too. A lot of people liked him a lot. That's true, yeah. So that was just like nuts draft.
2: Yeah, it was really good. I mean, if if I were the Ravens, I would think that, you know, I, I think at the very least Orlando Brown hopefully would, would play out his four years. They might tag... I think a longer-term deal at this point. Like, if Bozeman continues to perform next year, I'd give him a an additional contract. I think it'll be a little bit cheaper, and he could be another player to help build around. To be honest,
1: actually, one more piece of news. So, David Culley, Ravens' assistant coach and wide receiver coordinator, was hired as the head coach of the aforementioned Houston Texans. So, uh, as a result, the Ravens actually will receive two third-round picks, one this year and one next year, which is kind of cool. I don't know if Decosta had that in his mind when he was talking about getting an extra draft pick and how of was being coy about how he thought it was coming. I thought it was from, <laughs> from compensatory picks, but uh, <laughs> someone tells me he knew and uh, kind of alluded to it in his presser the day before.
2: I, I think the big news with with uh, this hiring is I, I think a lot of people seem to think that uh, our our wide receiver room is going to immediately get better. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure how much I believe that. For it's a mixed bag, man. I, I think I, I think at some point people are just like maybe hate too too hard on on Harbaugh's. Uh, not nepotism isn't the right word, but uh, you know his his propensity for hiring from the from the Andy Reid tree. Colley was another one of those hires. Um, you know he, he tends to hire guys I think that he has worked with in the past, uh, or you know maybe his uh, his dad or brother have worked with. Uh, I mean, you can look up and down the roster at a lot of the coaching hires, and I think most of them fit that way. But you know, I, I think the fan base sometimes uh, they like to play it up when they don't like a coach. They think that it's just Harbaugh sticking to his guys. But when Harbaugh sticks to his guys and those coaches do well, nobody says anything. <laughs> so, like, I, I'm not, I'm not. That, that's kind of how I feel about this. Like, I, I'm not sure. Like, you know, it, I'm not sure if it's a good thing. I'm not sure if it's a bad thing. But uh, I, I know that a lot of people seem to think it's a good thing. Uh, but, you know, I, we'll, we'll see who takes his spot next year. And obviously, we'll see how the room changes. But, you know, from, from the drafting perspective in this time of year, I mean, you certainly have to like the, uh, yeah, the those third round picks that are going to uh, come out of this. Hopefully, Eric Dacosta can, you know, work his magic and. And figure out a, a way to bring in some good players with that. But I wish him the best of luck, man. I mean, he's he's an older coach. I mean, he's sixty five years old, man. And he's never been a ho- head coach before. You know, dis- despite the some of the dysfunction that's happening with with Houston right now, and some of that stuff still going to be figured out. It's you got to be happy for the guy, man, to finally get an opportunity to coach in the NFL. He's probably wa- waiting a long time for that.
1: Well, if Eric DeCosta can turn those two third rounders into Orlando Brown Jr. and Mark Andrews again, <laughs> be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> this twenty eighteen class, man, I'm looking at it again. It's just what nuts. You also had Anthony Avery in it, Kenny Young, aka Marcus Peters, and uh Bradley Bozeman, Deshaun Elliott. Unbelievable.
2: And Zach Sealer. But we traded him to the Dolphins. He's
0: been very good with the Dolphins. Unfortunately, he didn't do anything for us, but Yeah, we could look back at that draft being the greatest draft in Ravens history, um, from a, you know, overall standpoint.
1: Yeah, I feel like it is. I mean the first draft was really good too. You had two Hall of Famer, so there's a lot of expectations for this draft class but uh yeah that it is but that's not this show that's not this show (laughs) all right (laughs) let's continue let's go ahead and talk about the 2020 season the season we didn't even know we would get i mean now removed from the loss i still think it was a great year for the ravens they battled much more adversity to get where they got than they did the year before i think they grew and while we didn't get where we wanted to go I think we're closer than we were, so take it for what you will.
0: Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Um, they finished 11-5 and five this year. It'll probably be the final time they ever finish 11-5 and five because now there's going to be a 17-game season, so, you know, the <laughs> last year we're going to have those, those pretty even numbers that we like to hang on to for the records, but sure, there were there was a shortage of big wins in the regular season that I think we would have liked as a fan base, but... Those only mean so much because what really matters is what you do in the postseason. And despite the fact that, yes, the Ravens didn't make it to the Super Bowl, I think they had a really good showing in the postseason. They absolutely dominated Tennessee. And the Bills game, like we talked about before, if a couple plays go, you know, the Ravens way, then that game is a lot closer than the final score came out to be. The Ravens were absolutely in that game until that pick. And even then, they weren't out of hand until Lamar Jackson went down. So we want to see them make a bigger step. I think this team is still in the second tier in the AFC, in my opinion. Right now, the first tier in the AFC is Kansas City, and they're alone there. I think the Ravens are a rung below that with a couple other teams. And, you know, they've got to make a couple steps. It's in the offseason to, to challenge the Chiefs if they want to get to the Super Bowl.
1: I mean, yeah, Peter, you're right. I mean, We've talked a long time about this, so not to like, belabor the point, but the Chiefs kind of were in their own league, and we were just hoping that we could get them, you know, we could have a, a high day, maybe get someone on a normal to low day and, and come out ahead. It was certainly possible, but you watch them and you're like, okay, checks out. I understand how they won the Super Bowl last year. I understand how they're back this year. It's not a surprise. It's just uh, to see if they can finish, and yeah, I, mean, I totally agree. I mean, there's something special going on there, and we can talk. I think it's natural to go into the offense because that's how they are marketed. And uh, how can the Ravens get to that level? What can they do? How close are they? Is it optics more than anything? I think that's worth discussing.
2: I mean, I certainly think that they have to be close, right? I mean, you know, the, the Chiefs, uh, you know, albeit they're, they're very good. I mean, they're not infallible. They had a stretch of games where, you know, they weren't doing so good. Um, They didn't really look like the best team in the NFL. But when they're on, I mean, yes, they look like one of the best teams in the NFL. You know, and I think for a while, it's, you know, the the Ravens were looking like the most complete team. I think a lot of, you know, pundits all over the NFL were like, you know, if the Ravens get in, they're going to be a really scary team. Um, That's just because they were executing so well in, in all phases of the ball. They had balance. They were just... Scoring the crap out of people, they've got a lot of pieces to be able to make things work. They really just need to put it all together, and they need to be able to take that in deep into the postseason. I think Eric DeCosta hit a couple things, and some of his presser too. He's like, "Look, you know, they had the personnel meetings. They know that they can get better in a couple different positions. You know, he also realized that you know the Ravens are a young team. Uh, They're probably one of the younger teams that they've had in a while." uh because of such of the successes from like the 2018 2019 draft class uh 2020 draft class. And so if they continue that up, uh, fill this roster out with a bunch of uh you know budding talent and they add some vets where, you know, leadership is needed, you know, they'll be able to figure this stuff out. I'm just glad that they're in the mix.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think if we want to talk about personnel, we're talking about Ravens and Chiefs. One of the things we that the Ravens, I think, need to take a hard look at this offseason, um, if not this offseason, then definitely next, but probably this one with all the chatter about do the Ravens need to add another top target, whether through free agency or the draft to Lamar, is you look at Kansas City, and their defense has a solid scheme. There's not really too many players on that defense that scare you. And I would say the same thing about their offense. That's, you know, obviously Patrick Mahomes is you know, the best young quarterback in the NFL. You certainly make the argument he's the best quarterback in the NFL right now. I'm not saying he definitely is, but you could make a case for it. But you take Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill out of that offense, they're a lot less scary. And I think an interesting question to look at in this offseason is what is the maximum potential for a Mark Andrews and for a Marquise Hollywood Brown? How close can they be to that those guys do these guys have the potential to be consistent all pros like those guys are or you know are they really second and third receiving options in an offense
2: yeah that's a good point you know recency bias i i feel like uh hollywood brown stock is i think trending up and, and mark andrews trending down a little bit you know we've seen both those guys be able to perform i i, I do think you know i i think i agree with you you had said something last week peter and that you think that the 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 next the the next ravens offense that hits the super bowl is probably going to have a core of Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, Hollywood Brown. I think that the three of them are going to be there. I do think there's there's got to there's got to be another piece and I'm not sure if it's another tight end or if it's another receiver, but there's got to be somebody else to be able to significantly step up and, and make and make some plays because it's just you know, it's if if one guy's taken away, you know, we we need another guy to step up, but it's it, it's been too you know, frequent where like both of those guys could be taken away and if they don't if they both don't have good games then and the running game also doesn't show up then basically the offense doesn't do anything we need another another big player preferably in the pass game because we know what we already have in the run game it's very good when it works for most of the time uh, but if teams do shut it down that becomes a problem i think there needs to be some other passing option there um, i'm not sure who it is uh, I'm not so I'm not sold on Allen Robinson. I'm sure we can have you know we talked about having another pod about that and all the other options. I'm sure we will when we get further into free agency. We'll talk about more of the guys on the market. If you'd ask me, I I don't think that those guys are are up to that caliber to what the Chiefs have. But you know maybe they don't need to be. You know maybe we just need to have uh, you know three or four like good reliable options who could step up and make plays when they're needed.
1: Yeah, you're not going to find a Tyree Kill or a kelsey on free agency those guys are arguably top tier Uh, i mean definitely uh, kelsey is and i would say hill is as well top tier in their position group with that said robinson's close he's like maybe third tier um but yeah that's not really the conversation we're having i think it needs to be another guy though it needs to be somebody i think peter for to your point they can't wait till next year uh, or the year after next like it has to be next year they have to do something and um, I love the fact that they've been drafting guys and I think they should take another shot but I don't think that should replace a veteran and I don't think it should replace a good veteran I think if they're serious about making this run I'm, I'm, I'm doing a one-year contract with one of these guys who want to make more money but it's a COVID year I think you do a one-year so they can win the Super Bowl with Lamar Jackson I think there's one guy out of that huge list that will take a one-year deal in order to win a Super Bowl with Lamar Jackson. Because I think a lot of teams, I mean, a lot of wide receivers in the NFL must know, a top tier wide receiver must know, shoot, I could go there and win a Super Bowl. Like they know that we're close. And that's one of the huge things we could use. So I like to think somebody's going to bite on that opportunity.
0: That's a fair argument. My one hesitation, and I think we'll talk more about this when we go to the free agency episode, is just I'm fine with that, but I just wonder if it comes down between, you know, picking up that vet guy. Okay, we can pick up that vet guy, but the cost is you got to get rid of either, you know, Calais Campbell or Derek Wolf. The one of those two guys isn't coming back or, you know, someone in the secondary. Uh, if it can all work from a CAP perspective, sure, that's great. But I do th- think that it is possible that the Ravens could get by with just Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown. I think you look at, how you know these guys are still young in their career? They're growing along with Lamar Jackson. We talked about how Mark Andrews had a down year. If you look at his numbers, his numbers last year were still better than almost every year statistically uh, of Todd Heap. You know, I, I looked at Heap's numbers. There were only like two or three years where he had a better year than what Andrews had last year. Um, and then some interesting numbers I pulled up that are in our doc uh, comparing Marquise Brown's numbers his first two seasons with you know three that guys that the Ravens picked up in the past, Derek Mason, Steve Smith, Anquan Bolden. Believe it or not, I was surprised when I saw this, but Marquise Brown, through two seasons, more receptions, yards, and touchdowns than Mason and Smith did. Now, granted, those guys were drafted later, so, you know, they weren't given the opportunities that Marquise Brown did or has had early in his career. And, I mean, of course, Anquan Bolden came out of of the college and just lit the league on fire but Marquise Brown still more touchdown receptions than Anquan Bolden his first two seasons so that's not to say that okay Marquise Brown is definitely gonna you know have an all-pro career like these three guys did but I think it puts some things into perspective on you know it, it takes longer for these guys to develop than we think it's not always you know just right out of the gate they're all pros like like you know it looks like a guy like AJ Brown is doing from that same draft class so
1: I looked at that, and I thought that was an interesting takeaway. I think another interesting takeaway with the passing offense comes from the perspective of explosive pass plays, which was defined as a play of 20 yards or more. The Ravens had 38 of those plays out of 406 opportunities, a percentage of 9.36. This is slightly lower than all the teams in the top Four, as we called it, the Chiefs, Bucks, Bills, and Packers, but not by a crazy extent. It's more so from the fact that they had more opportunities. But really, our overall expected explosive play was very competitive within a, a, a few percentage points of being in second place, with the Bucks of all teams actually being the highest uh, overall uh, explosiveness.
0: Yeah, I uh, was also surprised by those numbers. I was expecting from the passing perspective, the Ravens' percentage would be lower than all four of us, which it was, but like you said, it was pretty much in the ballpark. And I think that just goes back to what a lot of fans are saying, is we've seen this explosive offense in the regular season. There's just something about when the Ravens are getting to the postseason the past couple years that just that elements of that offense aren't transitioning over, which, again, leads more towards the thought that it's not huge differences they need in personnel i think you got to look at some of that and just like okay what's the what's the game plan here what's the coaching what are the parts of the preparation for these games that are causing this offense to underperform to its potential in the postseason and i think that's another thing that the ravens are gonna have to take a heavy look at
1: this offseason driving the whole passing offense you have lamar jackson I think it's interesting to talk about, as a group, do we think he improved as a pass or stayed state static? Um, and, yeah, I guess that's it. So I think it's <laughs> worth talking. Yeah. I was thinking that maybe the second bullet point, but I, I, we didn't collect the data for it, so...
0: Oh, so I did collect the data. I forgot to, to pump it in. So that that bullet point for those of you wait, not. Wait, so at the yeah, wait, what's
1: the bullet point, Peter?
0: <laughs> the bullet point is there was a. I forget if people really talked about it this year, but definitely in his second season, there was the the narrative out there that Lamar Jackson performs worse against teams when they have a second go at him. So the second time he goes up against him, I did compile the numbers. I forgot to put them in this sheet. It's on a separate doc, but. So, for this season, regular season, yes, technically. Surprisingly, the biggest difference was completion percentage. Lamar had like a 12% higher completion percentage or something like that against teams that he was playing for the first time. And then all stats across the board, yeah, sure, touchdowns thrown, touchdowns rushed for, total yardage, slightly higher against teams he hadn't played before. But I looked at the numbers, and then I was like, well, let's look at the teams that he played this year for the first time. It was the NFC East jacksonville on the colts (laughs) it's like only one of these teams was a good defense so i don't think he can really (laughs) clean anything (laughs) from that information uh but you know if people really want to put that narrative out there i guess he could say that the numbers backed it up but the slight difference in my opinion made it just look like okay well he was facing tougher defenses for the ones that he was facing you know for a second or third time
1: yeah i would say that it's hard to say if he improves as a passer this year, to be completely honest, but he had so many things going against him that make me a little hesitant to really say much. Like, his offensive line wasn't as good this year as it was last year. That certainly won't help. And I think his options overall were kind of net neutral because we didn't see that big step. We didn't have Hayden Hurst. And... We didn't have some of the vets where I know they weren't fantastic, but they might have contributed a little bit more than a Duvernay did or a old man Des Bryant did at the last minute. So I think it's hard to compare. I do think, I mean, the narrative that Lamar Jackson's not a good enough passer to win football games in the NFL, win you a Super Bowl is total malarkey, in my opinion. I think that is the most garbage thing. Like, if you tell me you'd rather have your quarterback over Lamar Jackson, you must have Patrick Mahomes. Like, that's the only guy <laughs> in the NFL where I'm like, Yep, I'll take him. I think you're crazy otherwise. Sure, there's some other really good quarterbacks. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a hard decision, but I still think Lamar Jackson, what he brings in all phases of the game, and his overall leadership, uh, cannot be denied. And uh I I I look forward to him being in awe, a Raven forever.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with that assessment. Maybe over the off season we can Take a week and really look into his film, compare some plays from this past season with last year and see, you know, okay, how does his mechanics look? Are there some big changes
1: there? I think he had happier feet this year. Like, he did seem to have a little bit happier feet, but again, that comes to the line play. Right. So, like, I hope it doesn't have long-term repercussions. We've talked about that at Ozziem about, you know, will Burrow be ruined forever because his line was so porous that he doesn't get the proper mechanics? Hopefully not, you know, for his career's sake and just for the overall interestingness of the game. Um, but, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, this, these are things you concern, you're concerned about. So I have confidence that our offensive line will come back better than ever next year. I mean, barring having catastrophic injury, I think it has to be better.
0: We need we need baby Zeus to stay there.
1: You do. Yeah, that's part of you it. You definitely need him there, yeah. No, but, yeah, adding Stanley
2: back to that line, I mean, immediately makes it better, right? I mean, you know, we don't, we, uh, you know, we, we may not even lose that Bills game if we have Stanley in there because we wouldn't have had Jerry Hughes running rushing free on the right side.
1: Right? I'm convinced if we had Stanley, we we are maybe even still talking about the Ravens playing football games. I mean, it, it cannot be understated how big of a difference he made. Uh, yeah. Not just from like hit the left tackle position was very well covered. It was the right tackle position that just got completely blown up and uh to say the right guard position wasn't impacted would be probably a lie too because i mean when you have a quality guy there just like we saw how yada could lift up the interior having a quality guy on the right tackle also will build up the interior like it's a unit you're talking about here and every good player compounds it's not just additive it's 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 compounding yeah i would
0: almost argue that shoring up the offensive line, getting depth, uh finding an actual right tackle with you know whatever the magic solution is, I shouldn't say magic solution, but the <laughs> the solution to the issues that happened this year beyond just injuries is a higher priority this offseason than finding additional playmakers for Lamar Jackson, give him some more time in the pocket, uh to go through his reads and to avoid having to Go into happy feet mode. I think that has a positive impact, not just on Lamar, but you know the receivers and the backs too. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I will play devil's advocate a little bit though, because it's, it's not all about the time that he has in the pocket. I mean, there are plenty of plays uh, throughout this season, really, of you know, I, I, Lamar stepping back in the pocket and waiting a good three seconds, four seconds for somebody to open up, and you know, eventually he just might end up, you know, taking off for. For 10 yards and and getting the first down which I mean ultimately it's like it's a good play you know the drive continues but you know the fact is of like well Mark couldn't find anybody open for that much time like you know why aren't they getting open? Is is it because the receivers aren't getting open, or is that Lamar is, you know, maybe not confident in making the throws that he needs to? Uh, I'm sure it's a little bit of both. Like I'm not going to say it's if it's all one or all the other, but you know Lamar can certainly improve, I think, in in his ability to make all the throws and you know to be able to uh, you know be able to pass in 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 uh, passing situations, right, and, and not play action situations not rushing situations. But he needs to be able to pass in, in any situation that he's given. Um and I certainly think that he can improve there a, a little bit as well because you know like we're saying look you know w- you know we may be able to have a super bowl offense without having to get a top tier wide receiver in free agency right you know if that's the case then you know then we need Lamar to be able to make all the throws with who he's got right um, and, and that, you know, that might mean that, you know, Hollywood Brown isn't open every single play. So he's got to be able to find one of these secondary options a Mark Andrews or, you know, a uh, Miles Boykin or Duvernay or, or uh, Dobbins or somebody, you know, and I, and I think he's definitely got some room to grow, uh, this next year, uh, to be able to make some more of those plays more consistently without having to go to rushing when everything breaks down.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think, I think those are all great points. I will certainly say the staring down of receivers just that times where he just seems like it's taken forever to go through his reads uh that was not something we saw much of the previous season from my recollection um so hopefully that's something that can improve but yeah I think it's completely fair for us to say hey there's some shortcomings in this guy's passing game and that's not saying that oh that that means he's not a real quarterback or anything no we're not saying that. It, at all. like The guy has some things he does really well from a passing perspective. I think especially when we're looking at plays across the middle of the field, there's certainly some times he has um, some really nice touch. Um, the throw to Hollywood Brown in against the Titans, I'm thinking of that play. That was a really, really nice touch pass that he put there um, when Hollywood was pretty well covered. Uh, but I think there were some improvements. I'm thinking especially the game against the Colts and uh, the second half adjustments they did against the Titans where Lamar made some good throws uh, to the outside. That was been a weakness of his passing game since he came into the league. Uh, We saw some slight improvements there, which is good. Uh, But yeah, I, I agree.
1: We didn't see as much improvement this year as we wanted, but he seems to be moving in the right direction. If there's any uncertainty about Lamar Jackson's passing game, there's certainly not about his running ability. And we saw this year the emergence of J.K. Domins, a rookie, and Gus Edwards, the uh, now more experienced uh, third-year guy, producing on the ground. And while we didn't break last year's historic records, we were darn close. And I think that's something worth talking about and recognizing that the excellence that they had, despite offensive line troubles that they didn't experience at all the year before, is is worth talking about.
0: Yeah, I mean, both those guys had really big years on the ground 723 yards on 144 attempts for gus 805 yards on 134 attempts for dobbins and when you look at like the more advanced stats um pro football reference is the reference for these numbers i did not go through the film and compile these numbers but uh first down runs you got 42 for dobbins versus 49 for edwards nine broken tackles for dobbins 13 for edwards And then plays of over 20 yards, eight for Dobbins, 11 for Edwards. I mean, Dobbins was certainly, we've said, you know, the flashier of the two. Although I feel like Edwards, uh, the second half of the season, had some, a couple pretty big highlight worthy plays, especially against uh, Cleveland and and the Giants. But yeah, it's interesting that how close their actual production mirrored each other despite their different playing styles.
1: Yeah, I was certainly surprised to actually see the numbers when you, you put them out there. So. That's just a testament I think to Edwards more than anything
0: I'm trying to think back in twenty eighteen there was it was Gus Edwards, and I don't think it was Kenneth Dixon. There was someone else that there was a big debate on who the Ravens would pick. obviously they picked Edwards, but whoever the other I guy think,
2: was, I think it was Dixon yeah, it was, kind of was Dixon. was it Dixon? Dixon,
0: yeah, it was kind of Dixon. Didn't they keep yeah. both though they did keep both well, it was a great call by the Ravens to keep both because certainly Edwards <laughs> um has had more production than than Dixon ever did during his Ravens career. And I mean, unfortunately, Dixon, you know, he didn't really get to show his full worth um, because of all the knee injuries he had. But man, that would have not been a good move at all if the Ravens had let had let Gus go. No, we'd be seeing him on some other
1: team doing well. His talent is undeniable. Single-handedly uh, revived the Jets. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's anything else to talk about
0: offensively. I think there is one thing that, more to talk about. And I didn't put this in the notes, but we're talking about do the Ravens need to add an additional target outside of Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown are basically saying, you know, the guy Ravens addressed, invested draft capital in these guys. They haven't been perfect, but they've shown a lot of upside. Of the guys who are on the roster right now, Boykin, Duvernay, Prochet, I guess you could throw in uh, Jacob Breland in that conversation too, although we haven't seen him take the field at all yet um, and we'll see if the Ravens even keep him around to to get a shot do we feel confident that any of these guys could step up and take the place of this free agent target that we think the Ravens may get because I mean they invested in draft capital in these guys too <laughs> shoot man really love Boykin <laughs> to be able to take a next step but
2: just after the first two years it definitely seems a lot of his issues are mental I mean, you just see it from the body language on the field, right? I mean, there's so many times that Lamar gets frustrated with Boykin of either not being in the right position, not running the right route. You know, it's it's a real shame. Like, I really hope he, you know, is able to put everything together and because we know he's got the talent. I mean, he's just a big target. He would be a great additional weapon to put alongside these two guys, uh, Andrews and Hollywood. Um, he, he's just got to really put it together. So, you know, it, it could be uh you know as far as the other guys I mean a Duvernay I, I don't know I just haven't seen too much of him outside of like the jet sweep plays I mean he was good at that but you know I guess if, if you're any fast player you could run around the corner like that'd be good but um as far as like actual receiving ability who knows I didn't really get to see him a whole lot uh so he's kind of a question mark I don't know if I'd put all my eggs in that basket yet but shoot man I mean if the Ravens are able to find somebody at you know 20 what do we pick 27 28 uh, if, if they're able to find somebody like a, like another Justin Jefferson or something this year and you, at that position, like you got to take that person. I don't I don't know what's on the roster. All I know is is this like there's got to be there's got to be somebody that we can depend on for I'm just gonna say like twenty thirty balls uh, a season or something, right? Honestly, like you know if 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 Nick Boyle were to go down again, you know I, I hope we hope he doesn't knock on wood. I uh, hope he's gonna be really healthy this year, but I, I think that was a big hit. Right, I mean, he was somebody that you know. While he's not going to run that many routes a game, he was a good blocker. He had some soft hands. He could catch those, uh, you know, the balls that you know when plays broke down. Lamar would be able to find him and trust him. And when he wasn't there, it was basically just Mark Andrews. I mean, we weren't really throwing to the other guys. Uh, I'm blanking on the name now. Who's the who's the guy we had near the end of the season? Eighty-five.
0: Oh, that's what I always just called him. Eighty-five. I don't know if I ever... <laughs> I <don't know laughs> I don't know what, what his number was. I don't <laughs> know why. I don't know why I'm blanking on the name. No, Luke Wilson was eighty-two, and we cut him. No, it wasn't because, Luke, no, it wasn't Luke yeah. Wilson. it was the guy after oh, that. He's really good.
2: Tomlinson. Tomlinson. Okay. Yeah, Tomlinson. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, he was a great blocker, fantastic blocker. You know, because of what he was doing, we were able to. The run game was, you know, uh, lights out in the second half of the season, but. I did he catch any balls? If he did, it was definitely under ten.
0: There was not a whole lot of passes that he saw thrown his way. Um, he had a target, apparently. Yeah, one target it, against Jacksonville. Did not catch it. <laughs> yeah. So,
2: <laughs> you know, uh, I'd say certainly from the tight end position, shoot, man. If you know, if if we could get somebody who could just be reliable, that will market look to in certain situations. Like, I, I think that would be huge. I, I don't, you know, do we need somebody who's going to catch a hundred balls a year? I don't really think we need that because between Mark Andrews and and Hollywood Brown, I think we've got that. I think those are the guys, the pieces to build around, unless you find somebody who's like, you know, pro bowl, all pro talent in the draft next year in the first, second round or something. If they can find that person, then that person will be it. Um, But if you can't find that person, I don't think you need that much more. You just, you know, you need another option for these guys to throw to that will mark and trust. And right now, uh, you know, Boy, I guess what I'm saying is Boykin's not in <laughs> The jury's still out on Boykin Unless he really turns it around And, and puts some good work in over the offseason
1: I think it's irresponsible Not to have somebody new I think we talked about last episode We won a 1A, 1B with Hollywood Brown I don't think 30 or 40 catches get you there I think it needs to be more than that So I don't see a rookie coming in doing that Unless, it, like you said, it is a high-caliber C.D. Lamb, Justin Jeffries Sort of player and not to say that we can't find that at our draft position. We certainly can, but it's a lot of eggs to put in the draft basket. I think they have to make the decision before then. I think a free agent will happen. But we'll talk about that in another episode about like exactly who. I just I just I don't think the Ravens get through this offseason without picking up a guy where we're like licking our chops to use him in Madden, so to speak.
2: <laughs> I mean, like y- yes like yes and no. Like I think, I think the Raven. I, I I do think that the Ravens will pick up a free agent wide receiver, but the, the the question is like, okay, like is it going to be a name you recognize, right? I personally, I do not think that they're going to go after a guy like Allen Robinson or any one of the top tier wide receiver free agents because it, it just it doesn't make much sense for the Ravens salary cap, and it's not their mo, right? Their mo is they're going to pick they're going to pick the guys who aren't flashy. You know, pick them up for not a whole lot of money, and they're going to be a solid contributor, but nothing more, right? Um, I think that is probably where the Ravens are going to go this year, just because that's how they've done it. But the other reason is too, and I agree with you, Alec. At this point, of like, you can't put all your eggs in the in the uh, in, in the draft basket, right? Um, with Willie Sneed probably not going to be re-signed, there's zero veteran leadership in that wide receiver room. Bringing in a free agent, I mean, adding that leadership into a position that doesn't have it. I, I, I think that they need to do that. But the question is, how much money are they going to do this, to do that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I'd really love to see one of those three be the guy. I agree. We just haven't seen enough to say with any sense of certainty that you can count on one of them, too. Boy, can still roll. Uh, <laughs> I still remember when we were at the, that preseason uh, game, you know, Chris just pointed out just how. Boykin wasn't getting consistent separation and just, you know, those hands they just weren't there and he's not that much of an improved player since we first saw him, I feel. It's just he's still limited. He got a couple big plays this year, but he was wide open on those plays. It was kind of hard not to. <laughs> it's
2: so self-inflicted, man. It's it's such a shame, too, because he had he had a good number of like of memorable plays this year, right? yeah um and some of them were just like you know really good physical play like that one uh the one jump ball in the end zone where lamar had to put that ball way up for him to get it and only him can get it that was an awesome play i mean hollywood brown's not gonna make that play he just <laughs> he can't jump that high um but yeah man it's it's frustrating you know clearly the guy the guy's got the physical talent this isn't like a you know this isn't like a tandon doss or like you know, Tommy Streeter, where like, you know, people are just like, oh, well, you know, we drafted a wide receiver. They must be good. You know, uh, Boykin can put it together. He has made some plays. It's just, it's so frustrating that, you know, he just it can't make any more than that. I <laughs> uh, hope to see it happen. But yeah, I, I wouldn't rely on it next year.
0: Yep. We shall see. We shall see. Moving on to the defense, you know, I think the second half of the season, The unit started out good, but I think, just like we were talking about how the offense wasn't putting together complete games, the same was with the defense. Um, There's always seemed to be some aspect of that part of the game that wasn't quite up to the full standard that we wanted, but second half of the season, you take out that Monday night football game against Cleveland, where I still don't know what happened there. The defense was lights out, starting with that uh, postponed game against Pittsburgh,
2: overall man i think there's a lot of good pieces here on the defense I mean certainly I you know I'd like for the Ravens to be able to focus some of the draft capital this year on uh, you know outside linebacker I think it's going to be a big one just because we're it's so much of a question mark at this point um that would be nice uh heck man somebody uh, maybe somebody else on the defensive line because you know, Clais Campbell derek wolf Brandon Williams and those guys are getting any younger um we definitely need some new blood so that might be good too. Um, you know, maybe another corner. I think the Ravens proved this year you literally cannot have enough corners, even if you think you do, like you don't. <laughs> uh, you know, there's certainly pieces I think that they could get better at, but they got some good pieces, man. I, you know, I think of Calais and Wolf and those guys, like if they can have a good year two, uh, combine them with Matabuke, uh, you know, him his growth in year two, I think they could be pretty good. You know, at the linebacker position, shoot, man, LJ Ford, I think, has been pretty good over the last, like, two years. I think if he has another solid year, I think that would be a good production. Uh, Queen's definitely got to take a step up. I, you know, I don't, I still think that he's the long-term answer here, uh, but he's certainly got to take a step up, particularly in pass coverage, um, and I think, you know, I, I think we'll start to see that, you know, hopefully year two, um, you know, maybe it might not come around till year three or four. We'll see. Uh, but I definitely think that there are some pieces there. And then, uh, you know, in the secondary, shoot, man, I mean, you know, I think we have the most money tied up in this position group, just in between corners and safeties. But uh, I think that they're going to be a solid core for another couple years. So you just need some complementary pieces, you know, some people to fill in if, if some guys go down or if there are any injuries. But overall, like, I, I think it's a good, I think it's a good group. I wouldn't make too many changes if I'm being honest. I mean, the only like, you know, real thing that would be awesome would be pass rush, just because I think it's been a weakness for the past couple of years, but that's just not something that you can, you know, uh, uh, fabricate. Uh, You know, if you either have guys who can win in one on one matchups or you don't, in which case we don't, and, and Wink just has to do what he can to be able to scheme up pressure. And, You know, it it works. It works for the most part, except for you know a select few matchups. I I think the Kansas City one was probably the big outlier. Of just you know Mahomes, just he wasn't fooled by any of the blitzes, no matter what we were throwing at him. He just was not fooled. Um, And you know, I'd expect that against certain matchups, particularly against you know vet quarterbacks or quarterbacks who are just good at at reading blitzes. Uh, Cleveland, I have no idea what happened with that, but (laughs) topic for another another episode, I guess.
0: I think pass rush is the biggest question going into this offseason. We've been saying it forever, and if you look at the past four seasons, the sack numbers have basically stayed pretty consistent. Uh, 17, you had 41, 18, 43, 19, 37, 20, 39. Uh, you can't get much more constant than that. And gosh, the, the top player on the Ravens defense this year for sack totals was Matthew Judon. He's almost certainly going to be gone uh, and he only had six sacks this year. Six sacks. Calais Campbell was second on the team with four. Like, And he
2: had three in one game.
0: Exactly, right. <laughs> yeah, against uh, That game against Philadelphia where, he, gosh, who is it that right guard still doesn't know where Calais Campbell went? <laughs> I don't even know if he's still on the team. <laughs> Probably not. But yeah, I we keep saying this is an area of concern, and I'm looking at next year, and this is it area of hyper concern because are they bringing back Ngakwe? I mean, he certainly didn't show us terribly much. We've talked about that to death. Bowser, he showed improvement in pass coverage, but as a pass rusher, I think he regressed this year per- personally. Um Jihad Ward has been excellent in small doses, but he doesn't strike you as a guy who's flirting with double-digit sacks anytime soon. So, yeah, this, this area, I think, is the biggest question mark going into the offseason with what the Ravens want to do here.
1: Yeah, that's going to be a good conversation. I think at the end of the day, when you look at the production, while we had a couple more quarterback hits with seven more this year than last year, the sack number is basically identical, 37 versus 39. We didn't get the pass rush we were hoping for this year by any stretch of the imagination. And we put more weapons at it than we ever thought possible. Now, granted, they weren't all healthy or all here for the whole season. But you can't help but wonder what the numbers are going to look like next year when you have less weapons. I mean, Matabuke is a guy who I think is going to be a solid contributor on this team and maybe can make that step to help produce. But you're not expecting him to be an edge rusher that gets you a ton of sacks. You're not expecting him to be the next Donald, right? This is going to be a, a very important thing to watch this off season.
2: Yeah, I, I feel like I wouldn't be so worried if the Ravens didn't have three outside linebackers up in free agency, right? I mean, if they, what four? Tyus Bowser was the. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking McPhee, him, Judon. Tyus oh, Bowser, uh, yeah, kept, yeah, yeah, I kept thinking. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't thinking of McPhee. Actually, I, <laughs> I was. I was thinking everybody but McPhee. Yeah, was four of them, man. Um, it's just everybody. You know, if if you had a bunch of players waiting in the wings to be able to take over, I mean, that'd be one thing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, almost almost everybody's kind of leaving that position group. I guess we'd be left with Ward and Ferguson. Yep, <laughs> and that's it, Mister Inactive. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> i think that's the biggest thing right it's just like who are you like at the end of the day i don't think the ravens cannot draft four outside linebackers and hope that all of them can contribute and get you know some sacks right that that's just that is not an option so then ne- the next option is basically like who do you have to bring back to replicate some of that success um you know because i i to be honest, so yeah, based on these numbers and based on the current situation, I would I would expect the numbers next year unless, you know, again, unless the Ravens found a gem in the draft, you know, one of the next good pass rushers, unless they find that, the numbers are probably going to be about the same if maybe a little bit worse. Just because they're, you know, they're not going to shell out the money to be able to bring all those guys back. It's just not going to happen. There are too many other contracts that need to come up after that. Um, so the question is, you know, who they need to draft, and you know, how much money do they need to put in this position group to bring somebody back, or you know, maybe two guys back to be able to get those numbers? It's it's going to be crazy. I, I I don't know what the answer is because I could see you know a justification for almost almost anybody, but I don't know what those numbers are going to look like. It's it's real. It's going to be really interesting, uh, especially when you add the lens of of just you know what the cap's going to look like next year.
0: I think when we're looking at talking about players to bring back. I think another interesting question is uh, a guy we love this year. You know, we were a big fan of Derek Wolf's play, but we're talking about how the Ravens want to bring in offensive playmaker uh, from in free agency. And we're talking about the resurgence of Matabuke. Uh You got to wonder if Wolf is, becomes the odd man out there in that situation. Um, what do we think is the priority that the Ravens should have with Wolf in comparison with other needs because he was on a one-year deal right am i wrong about that no you're it right was.
1: Yeah, he,
2: was, he was on a one-year deal
1: yeah i think they got to bring him back i know how this is difficult given the cap situation and uh, it's not a given whatsoever but i just thought the way he played and the quality of leadership is quite valuable
2: yeah i mean i, I think the biggest thing is just how much money does he want Right. I mean, I, I, I was under the impression that he took less money to come to Baltimore because he wanted to win a championship. Um, obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, so the question is, you know, is he going to do that again or is he going to go after some more money? Um, I Yeah, I, I think with Alec, you know, uh, he he did everything I think we asked him to this year, um, particularly that game, that first game against the Titans, man. I think he really showed a, a whole heck of a lot when he was the kind of the, the lone man out there. Uh, he was just a beast, and he's a little bit younger than the Calais too. Uh, I think he's definitely got some good play left in him. I'd love to see him back, but uh, I think it all depends on how much money he wants. I, I would, I would put him to maybe more directly answer your question, Peter. I, I feel like I would, I, I would say priority personally. I guess I would probably try to bring back like a guy like Bowser first, uh, but then immediately after that, I would bring Wolf. If I'm just thinking roughly here, I mean, I, I think Judon and Nakawe are probably going to be the two higher-paid players for the Ravens. I think they're going to be a lot harder to bring back. But uh, for me, if if I could bring back a, a Bowser and Wolf for what it would cost to bring back Judon, I would do that.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I'd have to agree with that too. Um, it probably helps the fact that Wolf, what didn't have a huge pass rush year, will probably bring his salary down from. If other teams come knocking because uh, that's kind of the sexy stat, you know, in free agency right now is what the number of sacks you get are. Uh, So yeah, hopefully that'll be enough. And I think, you know, Judon, he's been a little underrated from within the Ravens fan base. I feel like just because, and we talked about this last year because he's never reached the level of a Terrell Suggs or Peter Boulware, even like an Adelius Thomas or Jarrett Johnson. But I think even with taking into consideration what his actual value was to the team, I, I still think you're right. It's it, You're getting more of a value with the cheaper contracts of, of Bowser and Wolf than what you would have to pay up for to bring back Judon and Ngakwe. Yeah, sadly, I
2: think that's just kind of how it has to be. I mean, I, I'd like him. You know, i I'd like him back. Like, I thought he was a good player. I think he, you know, he's... He's a you know a, a good player, a good locker room presence. I mean, he was the leader of this defense. I think a lot of people you know looked up to him, and uh, you know this, that, those intangibles I think are going to be you know hard to replace in, in some sense. But but yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. At the end of the day, like he he never reached that upper echelon of of, of players. I think he's solidly in that B tier though. Um, I do think the only thing that Jared Johnson uh, had above him, I think he had the longevity, and I think he kind of had the um, almost like the like, like local adoration of like the fan base too. You know, guys like Kelly Gregg had that too, and it, it certainly helped. I think with uh, Jared Johnson, if he stuck around a little bit too, he was on ninety eight Rock for a while, and uh, I, I think that also kind of like you know helped solidify him as as one of those uh, you know forgotten but but beloved Ravens players. You know, I I think for Judon, he wasn't as, uh, I I still don't get the sense that he was as good of like a, uh, kind of like a public presence. He he seemed to me kind of like a little bit nervous in some of his, uh, in some of his pressers and things like that. But, but if, if you just, if you just saw him like one-on-one on some like, uh, some like team videos and stuff, he's just an awesome, like really fun guy. So you you love to have a player like that back, but yeah, only if the money's right. And uh, I'm not sure if that's going to be right.
1: From inside linebacker position, you know, another interesting place for the Ravens. We had two rookies come in, Malik Harrison, and of course the first round pick, Patrick Queen, and we saw the two of them be rookies most of the year. Patrick Queen is undeniable with some of his playmaking ability and his uh, raw skills, but lots of polish needs to happen this offseason to really see his full potential and see if he was worth the first round pick.
0: Yeah, um, I feel like I'm a little higher on them right now than the average opinion that you kind of get among the fan base when you talk about both these guys. Absolutely, they both made a lot of mistakes this year, but I think there's a lot of potential, um, certainly from an athleticism standpoint from Queen, but he also made uh, some big plays, including a big pass rush uh, late in that game against the Titans that stalled the drive in that game. That was a close game. Um, Harrison obviously had that huge hit on Henry in the second half and yeah I think we just got to kind of be patient for another year or two just see what these guys are able to do I do think the early returns on them are better than guys like uh, Tyus Bowser and certainly like a guy like Tim Williams early in their careers so you know at least they have that going for them but (laughs) (laughs) yeah we'll see it's kind of a gamble that the Ravens did on these two guys they're little bit less of the prototypical inside linebackers that the Ravens have gone with in past seasons but it's also you know a new league new types of offenses that are that are out there so it's certainly a good experiment by the Ravens we'll see if it works out or not and if it if it does work out excellent the Ravens are gonna it got two guys who are gonna be anchors for this defense for seasons to come. And if it doesn't, you know, they they learn some things and they can tweak their strategy with the next guys they pick.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's super early still with these guys' careers. Obviously, they're both rookies. You know, we got a lot of time for them to, to be able to grow and, and continue to develop. Um, I, I'd say, honestly, like, look, man, they're, the Ravens are in a great position with this with this group in particular. I mean, heck, if, if they're the worst, you know, players on this defense um you know just in terms of experience and, and just like overall level of play I, that's got to be a good place to be in i mean you know to have a defense go in and hold the bills to basically you know 10 points even with players like this like i mean you've got to be in a great position right i mean that means the, the rest of your defense is just playing like really really well uh to be able to you know cover for some of the inefficiencies of these guys i'm, I'm with you man like at this point like if the defense is looking good like give them as much give give them as much time as they need give them the reps have them learn uh let them develop um you know uh, unless they start making like really like game-breaking bad plays then you might want to consider looking somewhere else but otherwise man you got plenty of time
1: i was surprised to see that Fort performed worse in pass protection than queen uh according to qbr and stuff in pro football records but uh like like said in the notes like that's really subjective (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. i
0: i was it was interesting to look at the stats that are on pro football reference you guys can look them up too if you're listening at home um and kind of see how they're ranking uh what the quarterback rating is uh when quarterbacks uh target these defenders um i don't know if the website Says how they're grading it. I didn't really look to have a chance to look that deeply into it. Um, so, you know, kind of take those numbers with a grain of salt. But yeah, at least the, the raw numbers on Queen and Fort, both of them, when they were targeted, both uh, gave up roughly the same quarterback rating uh, between 103 and 106. I think Fort was 106, Queen was 103. Although uh, Queen was targeted twice as often as Fort was. So you can look at that. It's part of the equation as well, but coverage from the linebacking position is certainly something that the Ravens want to look at and improve in the
1: offseason as well. The Ravens' strength on this defense was undoubtedly the secondary, but it's worth noting that they did have some inconsistency throughout the season, and I think this is a pretty interesting chart that was whipped up here. Yeah, again, we're going back
0: to pro football reference. Maybe someday we'll, you know, have the time to watch all the film and make these our, our own ratings, but <laughs> we're just going with what's out there. When we're looking at uh, the quarterback rating given up by each member of the secondary, you know, overall, I, th- I think a lot of fans felt that both Marlon, Marlon Humphrey in the second half of the season, first half of the season, he was lights out, but after COVID um, hit him, he seemed to— perform a little worse um and peters marcus peters i heard a lot of you know a lot of frustration with him if you look at those guys and and chuck clark they all basically gave up pretty similar quarterback rating 84.5 for clark 84.3 for humphrey 78.9 for peters so basically all you know pretty decent that's that's not bad at all Given up uh elliott really struggled according to the website gave up 113.4 rating when he was targeted And Jimmy Smith was the stingiest of everyone at a 57.4, but I think, which I think is excellent by Smith, as we talked about before. He stepped up huge with, he had a diminished role in this defense compared to what he did in years past and just took it in stride and put up an excellent season when he was on the field. But you also look at that number and you got to think, well, Smith isn't drawing the, the top target of the offense as much and he's not on the field as much. So that also... I think you got to take that in consideration when you look at he had a a better overall number than Peters and Humphrey. But I think overall, this unit, could they have played a little better? Sure, but especially when you consider the fact they were also supposed to have Tavon Young back there, and he got lost for the season. I think they put it together a stellar campaign this year.
1: Where do we think the Ravens would most likely target to improve this offseason on the defensive side of the ball? Or is it really just about not falling too far from where they were
0: well I mean I think we already said it pass rush <laughs> but I guess like you're saying you're probably gonna have to target that through the draft because if you're gonna go through that through free agency to get a guy who's better than what they have right now um, you're gonna have to pay up for it I feel like if the Ravens could draft
2: um, two outside linebackers that would uh, and then bring one one of those guys back or you know one or two maybe like maybe McPhee might be a guy that they could bring back on another one-year deal um for relatively cheap I don't think he's going to be picked up by too many other places so let's say if you if you brought back like you know Bowser and McPhee you draft two guys I mean now you're position you got six people um you basically you know replace shoot on Nagakwe. um that might work As, as far as that I feel like the Ravens have to consider somebody else in the secondary um you know, if they had, like, a free safety that fell in the first round that they really liked, um, it might not be a bad idea to, to pick that up. I'm not sure who's available. We'll probably get into that into another episode this offseason. But, you know, Ellie, Ellie was good. He was solid. I don't think he was uh, certainly the, you know, the weakest link in the secondary. But, um, you know, there were some plays where, you know... You, he just wanted Elliot to show a little bit more range be able to close and you know maybe uh, you know get a couple more interceptions or something on some of those deep bombs toward the sideline he's just a you know a touch or two late he'd always make the tackle and you know he wouldn't let anybody get behind him and which is good uh so, you know one of the first things that you should do is free safety but you know uh having somebody back there I don't want to say like Ed Reed because he's like one of the greatest ever but you know someone like a you know Justin it was Justin Simmons I think from the Broncos I think it was a pretty good uh, free safety something like him um you know I think the Ravens should consider it or if they don't find anybody like that you know maybe if they find another cornerback uh you know maybe somebody in the 3rd 4th round or something that they like that you know they think they could develop in a year or two um it might be a good idea just just for the future because Jimmy Smith isn't going to be around here uh, forever uh, we're hoping that he comes back here next year healthy and is able to still perform at a high level. But, you know, hey, who knows? But that's what I would do.
0: Yeah, you bring up a really good point with Elliott. Uh, of the consistent starters on this defense, well, from the secondary, yeah, I think he was the weakest link when we compare him to all those guys. Uh, he was certainly better than, yeah, some of the practice squad guys they had to throw in there. <laughs> but And he certainly wasn't bad, but I think we had questions about how complete of a safety he was going into this season. And, you know, like you said, there are some deficiencies in his game. Certainly he, I think if the Ravens can improve at that position, Elliot, he strikes me more as a guy who's maybe more like, you know, we've talked about like in the past, like a Chad Williams or uh, Will Demp's Thomas Zubikowski, a guy that you love as, as a, a backup safety who can come in, spell guys can come in and, uh, you know, deeper quarter packages and help be, uh, a guy can give the secondary a, a fifth or sixth guy out there in high passing leverage situations. But I think certainly when we're talking about him as a starter, uh, Chuck Clark, I think the Ravens can, can do some really big things with him as a starter. I don't think they need to find an improvement over him, Uh, but I think they can, they can do better than, than Elliot, but maybe Elliot will will make some big strides in the off season and they won't need to worry about that, but we'll
1: see. I think similar offensive tackle, we saw how thin we were there and it's not going to be an okay thing to not have more backups and personnel there of quality.
2: Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's a big thing. I mean, the Ravens are fortunate now that they've got two guys that okay, they know that they can start and they can play you know relatively well. You know, overall, I don't think that you know the secondary is a weak point of of the Ravens' defense. Um, so that's great. But yeah, exactly what you said, Alec, of just you know approaching it from a depth perspective of like, look, they got to get somebody to be able to uh, you know, be a solid contributor for that. Um, if they can find somebody who could be you know an upgrade then that's great. Elliot becomes the depth and and that's, you know, solves the problem that way. But, uh, but yeah, I don't think there's a way that they come out of this draft without, you know, not taking a safety. Yeah.
0: I do remember when we were doing the draft preview. that so we were looking at safety as a position that uh, we thought the Ravens might undervalue going into the draft, but could be one that we wished they had picked higher. And that ended up being the case. They did take a flyer on Geno stone in the seventh round. Gina and Stone is they, no longer on the team. I was going to say they subsequently <laughs> threw that flyer in the trash. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, um, yeah, I'd say that's a point for our draft analysis that, yeah, we got that right. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's one thing to say, okay, yeah, the Ravens should upgrade that position. And we, you know, we talked about it with the center. We were, you know, in the moment of that game against the bills, we were talking about, ah, we said in the off season that the Ravens should have gotten the center. well, if we look back at that offseason, the draft was a terrible, terrible draft for centers, interior offensive line in general, but specifically the center position. And if you looked at the free agency market, Matt Scurrow was considered one of the top three guys available. So it was like last offseason, the Ravens were like, well, sure, of course you want to get better at the center position, but there was nothing available there to really make the upgrade that year hopefully that's not the case with with safety uh, in this coming draft class in the free agency and the ravens can at least get a guy who's a, a solid backup if not a guy who's going to challenge elliot for the starting role but they're just gonna have to see how the how the draft and the market unfold there well it wouldn't be a complete show
1: without talking about the special teams which might still be a sore subject for ravens fans after uh Disappointing kicks from Justin Tucker to end the year, particularly in that Buffalo game, uh, a game riddled with wind that uh, saw many missed field goals, uh, two of which were contributed to him. It's hard to uh,
0: dissect the kicking game, right? Like we, when we see Tucker make a big kick and we're, we can say like, yeah, that looks really good because he made that from long range, and it didn't look like he was going to miss that. And <laughs> when a kicker totally shanks it, like uh, Bass did in that same game, you're just like, that's a really bad kick. That was nowhere near close. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think if we have some time this offseason, it would be interesting to like look at some of the kicks Tucker made in that game and late in the season, kind of compare that to last year, because he was on an incredible run. I, I looked back at it, and he did have six total misses over the final seven games of the season. Five field goals, one extra point. And you compare that to the streak he had before over the previous 31 games, he only missed four field goals and three extra points. So that was a bit of a slump there for Tucker. The win certainly played a factor in that game against Buffalo. Um, that's not to make an excuse. I mean, I, we know Tucker's not a guy who likes to make excuses. He prides his in his ability to make big kicks in bad weather. Um, so, yeah, I don't know enough about the kicking game to say, is there something different about his mechanics, or is it just, you know, eventually even the best are going to miss a couple? We'll see. Of course, we got full faith that, that Tucker's going to come back better than ever uh, next year, because that's what his past track record has suggested. But um, I think it is something that the Ravens still need to, at least not forget about last season as they go into the off season.
2: You know, before the Bills game, I didn't want to believe it. I saw Jeff Srebeck tweeted about how Tucker was in a mini slump, and I was like, I don't think he is. And then he missed those two kicks. And I'm like, you had to tweet that. <laughs> <laughs> you jinxed it. You jinxed it, Jeff. Come on. Yeah, Look. Well, I—, I other than that i don't have too much to add peter i i think you're right i mean we'll just see what happens next year like i have full faith that he's gonna come back i mean he's still um he's still sucker uh we've been through him you know we've been with him for a while i think he'll be fine i tell you what he definitely does take his craft seriously i don't know whether you guys saw his uh his zoom interview at the end of the season but i mean he just looked pissed (laughs) the whole time and people kept asking him about the questions he's just like i didn't make the kicks you know you just got to make those kicks in big games doesn't matter the situation doesn't matter what the weather is you just got to make those kicks and he just looks so agitated so i hope that's going to drive him uh, <laughs> i hope he's going to get refocused and and, and come back and, and and still perform at a high level i think the the other interesting thing on special teams alec i didn't know if you had one to add anything uh, uh, before we get here but uh, i'll just uh, i'll go into here and, and you can see if you add anything but I think with the the Jordan Richards being re-signed, I think that you know, like I said earlier, kind of signals that you know maybe it's the end of Anthony Levine. Maybe the Ravens won't re-sign him. He becomes a luxury that they don't need. Um, I I do think that that has uh, has to be something uh, uh, big for next season in terms of like kickoff coverages and things like that. Um, for me, I I thought Chris board played pretty well down the stretch on special teams. So he seems like kind of like a, a natural guy to be one of your leaders on special teams. Um, Jordan Richards would be the, one of the other guys, you know, with Levine, you know, potentially not making it back. And, and I don't think Chris Moore will be back either. He was on a one-year contract. I'm not sure if the Ravens would re-sign him either. Maybe they might. I think the Ravens are going to have to find some other guys to play special teams, you know, maybe Malik Harrison also might be a guy, too. He seemed like he had a lot of special team snaps. He, he might be a, a pretty solid contributor. You know, but the Ravens are going to have to find, you know, some people this year, probably in the later rounds of, you know, fifth to seventh rounds of, of people, you know, more people to play
1: special teams. Yeah, I think what guy you left off your list was Justice Hill. Uh, we saw him That's really right. step up yeah. in the season and uh, become a good special teams contributor. And one of the big reasons I think Ingram wasn't activated was because hill was so productive as a special teamers not certainly not for what he was bringing to the offense we knew that ingram had more in the tank i think than than hill did at that point i will add about justin tucker i mean i like to trust the guy he said when he came off his foot he felt like both kicks were good in the bills game and the wind took it i mean he doesn't lie about that in the past when he missed other kicks he'll say like you know it didn't feel good off the foot you know, like, right. I, so I, I tend to trust him. I think he's uh, very candid about those things. And it's not to take away from any other successes he had this season, including the game winner against Cleveland uh, that propelled us into the playoff conversation to begin with. So, hey, man, Justin Tucker, I'm sure you'll be back and better than ever. We have no worries. From a rest of the special teams perspective, I'll say that the punter situation with Cook I'm not too worried about it. If he wants to come back another year, and I think he will, I think we would have heard about that by now, then I think he'll be successful. And I think we have something going with DuVernay and Prochet as returners. I don't think that we really need to look to replace them. Even if they become bigger contributors on the offense, I don't think that stops them from being uh, contributors. Well, that was a long episode of Ravens Recap. Maybe broke our record, but definitely a lot to talk about and a lot of good points brought up today about the 2020 Ravens season. We have a lot of off stuff to look forward to. We alluded to a lot of it tonight between free agency, the draft, just overall roster construction, and scheme. You know, we lost a coach, and we're going to definitely have conversations about how the Ravens can change their scheme based on their new personnel going into the season. For all that content and more, follow us here on the website. Make sure to follow us in your podcast player of choice ravensrecap.com ravens underscore recap at twitter and feedback at ravensrecap.com if you want to send us an email appreciate you guys sticking with us throughout the 2020 season looking forward to starting our 2021 season content soon maybe we'll do a little bit more retrospective though of the 2020 season before we do that we shall see